Baseball HQ without the bearded one? We'll ask Ron Chandler, Fantasy Baseball Hall of Famer, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, May the 5th, and show number 23 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you. We'll talk with Ron Chandler, the Fantasy Baseball Hall of Famer, about his leaving BaseballHQ.com, his site ChandlerPark.com, the big pictures facing the fantasy industry, his studs and duds. It's a great conversation. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on the possible replacements for Adam Wainwright in the St. Louis rotation. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at how long Drew Stubbs can hang on in the Colorado outfield. And in our frequent flyers commentary, Alex Becky looks at Carlos Rodon, Enrique Burgos, and Kevin Pillar. It's another Big Tuesday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, we've got Ron Chandler here to talk about fantasy baseball. we got to talk about fantasy baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday edition, our feature expert interview with Ron Chandler, the Fantasy Baseball Hall of Famer. Ron, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks, Patrick. It's always great to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Before we start, we always like to find out how your various teams are doing in the uh, through the first month of the season. Uh, well, uh, mostly middle of the pack. I, I think most of my teams are in uh, in good position to move up. It's a long season, and uh, I plan to keep working them all, except my uh, my XFL team, which uh, this is a rebuilding year for me. So, uh, still working on that to uh, try to build up a good core uh, keeper list for next year, but, uh, all the other teams pretty much are doing, uh, okay, doing well for this time of the year. Most of us think when we're doing a rebuilding plan, we try to kind of try to play our cards a little bit close to our vests and, and, uh, keep our intentions a little bit away from the other guys in the league, but you've been running this as publicly as though you were campaigning for office. <laughs> it's I, you know it's it's a fascinating process and to be honest you know I I, I really enjoy the rebuilding process because there's there's not the, uh, the the stress of having to contend and move up in the standings and uh, it's it's a roster construction exercise that I think is fascinating and uh, so I wanted to make it public and and show the steps that I was going through and uh, you know hopefully it'll work uh, towards my advantage and, and and be able to build a nice core and and hopefully have a, a, a nice three to five year cycle of contend which is the way it kind of works in the XFL. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy sharing that experience. And of course, the uh, XFL format offers you some fairly um, different and even unique ways to rebuild a team that are not common in a lot of uh, home leagues, certainly not in the uh, online leagues where you have very extensive uh, reserve lists, you have minor league systems that you can build up, you have a different kind of contracting system. To what extent do you think the the uh, way that you're rebuilding and the techniques you're allowed to re- use to rebuild in XFL are applicable to guys who are playing in more more traditional or more standard format leagues. 
Well, I, I think mostly that you can take away from this is, is uh, I think, the player names, the, the types of players that I'm targeting. Uh, you know, every league has its own individual uh, uh, rule set, so you know, nothing is going to be completely ac- applicable to every type of league. But I think just the process itself has, has a more universal appeal, and that's what I'm hoping to, to share. Your first big move uh, you made, I think, before the season, did you not? A, a blockbuster with Steve Moyer from your XFL league? Uh, yeah, well, you know, part of my draft strategy uh, going into uh, uh, the, the auction part of this draft was to uh, roster or pay for three real stud hitters and and then uh, eventually to flip them for uh, prospects or, or players who uh, are in good salaries that I could use as, as potential uh, core for the future. And what normally would happen is I would uh, roster those players and then over the course of the early part of the season orchestrate several deals. Uh, but I, I figured out that um, if I tried to make a move over the winter, I would be trading for solid major league talent rather than trading for prospects, and that might accelerate the process of contending. So um, I put out a call in December uh, for trading those three players, and uh, Steve Moyer came call and say, I'll take all three. And so I was able to deal uh, Troy Tulowitzki, Jason Wirth, and Adrian Gonzalez uh, on excessive contracts that you know he would not be able to keep beyond this year uh, for really good contracts of Xander Bogarts and uh, Manny Machado and uh, a first-round pick in the uh, in the March draft, which uh, turned out to be Asmani Tomas. So um, for me, looking towards the future, you know, it looks like a dump deal, but I'm trying to build for a long-term strategy, and that worked pretty well, I think. Well, it sounds like it did, given your given your intent and your plan. It seems like a perfect way to approach it. Now, this raises a, a question that came up in our my, the league that I play in. My home league is an AL only, and for a long time we allowed dump trading and so forth, and it almost broke up the league. You've heard lots of stories like that, I'm sure, over the years. And as a result, we decided we wouldn't allow dump trading at all. Anybody traded during the year would be returned to the free agent pool. But in the last few years, some guys in the league have been advocating for a return to some kind of dump trading. And when one of the better players in our league phoned me to to solicit my support for this plan, I said, I'll go for it. I'll play by whatever rules you guys want to play by. But here's what I'm going to do, and I'll tell you in advance. I'm going to spend $60, $70 on each of the three best players in the draft, and I'm going to trade them hours after the draft is over. And anybody with any common sense is going to do the same thing every year, and we're going to destroy the value of the draft. And he paused for a second. He said, you know what? You're right, because that's exactly what I do now that you say it. And because you're playing in an XFL league with a bunch of experts who are comfortable playing in in a very aggressive, no holds barred way, is kind of different from a league where that kind of draft and trade strategy might not go over well. Yeah, it's possible, but I mean, even in the major leagues, this is the way you have to build a team. I mean, you can't just expect to contend every single year, and I think most fantasy leaguers try to contend every single year in keeper leagues, even when their their core keeper list going into a season is weak. If you've got a weak keeper list, even the best draft is not going to really put you in a position to, to win your league most times. So you have to take a... a, a um, a position where where you 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 cycle in and out through contention and rebuilding, and in the XFL, that's just the way it seems to happen. Most uh, there are very few teams that contend consistently. Most of them will contend for two, three, maybe five years on the outside, and then they'll go through one one or two years of rebuilding. And we know that that's the process. And uh, depending upon where you are in that cycle, will determine how you draft and how you approach things. To what extent does this approach? 
reward the guy who's a good trade negotiator over the guy who's a good drafter? Being a good trade negotiator, negotiator always has an advantage, and I mean, in every league, there are there are there are owners who you can find it easy to trade with, and owners who are difficult to trade with, and you just just find your comfort zone, you know, who you can work with best, and and who uh, makes good trades. So it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's an integrated process. There's no just there's not just one thing that helps you win each year. You have to be a good drafter. You have to be a good trader. You have to be a good player. You, know, you have to do everything well. It does certainly put a lot more pressure on on uh, owners who might not be comfortable trading to become comfortable trading in situations like that because it really is the the key to success in a league that allows trading. You've got to be good at it, right? And to be honest, you know, in in a deeper league like you know the AL only or NL only, like in Tout Wars, I'm in the AL only. I'm not as good a trader there as I am in the mixed league XFL because. I, it's tougher for me to give up on on uh, on players who have some type of value, and since the 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 uh, we draft so deep into the pool, there's not a lot of uh, opportunity to to get someone out of the free agent pool, and mistakes can be critical. If you make one bad trade, it could kill your season. Whereas you know in in a mixed league, there's a little bit of room for error. So uh, yeah, you know it's it's again how comfortable you are with the process, and depending upon uh, the type of league you're in. You mentioned not being willing to give up on a player maybe who's off to a slow start. Of course, you also don't want to sell low on a guy if you can avoid it, if he has any kind of upside at all. But we're only a month into the season. We actually started late, so it's barely past, uh, the, I think, just coming up to the four-week mark. And is is it still too soon to say that somebody's off to a slow start? At what point can we say that, you know, it's it's X number of weeks, I'm fairly convinced that this is a, a, a bona fide issue for this player? I think that the tools at BaseballHQ.com really come in handy here, because if you look at the peripherals, that will give you a good sense of, of whether a player is is really putting up the type of numbers he should be putting up. You know, for instance, I, I, I recently drafted Bud Norris, uh, actually picked him up, because, you know, I have confidence in this guy, and and I know he has talent, and he had a decent year last year, and he's gotten off to an absolutely awful start. But if you look at his peripherals, they are terrible right now. You just see absolutely no sign of this guy turning it around. And I think in the case, in particular with pitchers who have gotten off to bad starts, I think at this point in the season you can say, okay, this, this guy is not going to recover enough for him to have value to my team. Um, as opposed to somebody else who you take a look at his peripherals and they're still strong and his ERA might be high or a batter whose batting average is low, but he's still putting up good contact um, and hitting with some power. And those guys, you, you know, they're going to probably turn things around. So it's, you know, looking at the peripherals and determining uh, uh, from there whether these guys are facts or flukes. Ron, last week on the show, I had Corey Schwartz from Major League Baseball, the vice president of stats and a mutual friend. And uh, Corey, of course, was talking about the new StatCast service, and we're starting to see new metrics even more down to individual player skill, like how fast is the ball coming off the bat? Uh, the trajectory of batted balls is becoming way less subjective. How excited are you about the potential for these kind of uh, new, very granular statistics insofar as uh, assessing players for fantasy purposes? Uh, well, for baseball purposes, I think it's fascinating. For fantasy purposes, um, I'd like to see how they can become more predictive. Uh, if we can get to the point where these become predictive of how a player is going to perform and how it affects his numbers, then I think it would be very exciting. But I think we're still a ways away from that, and uh, I'd like to see something more along those lines first. 
You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Ron Chandler from Chandler Park. And Ron, you announced late last week you are ending your immediate connections with BaseballHQ.com. How did that decision come about? Well, um, the short answer is that my contract was up with USA Today, which owns BaseballHQ.com, and um, the end result of the negotiation was that I would be leaving the site. Um, That's basically the short answer. Before we talk about all of that, give us the capsule history of Baseball HQ. Uh, it was just Baseball HQ before it became BaseballHQ.com. How did you get started in this in this business, and, and how did you build it to the success that it became? It, it all started with a, a monthly newsletter that I, I began back in the, the spring of 1987 after the first uh, edition of the Baseball Forecaster. Uh, I was looking for something to continue to write during the year, and so uh, every month I'd put out a newsletter, and, and that newsletter ran for uh, about 10 years years or so. Uh, in the late 90s, uh, actually mid 90s, uh, the, when the internet started coming about and, and the World Wide Web and all this sort of stuff and looking for a, a way to uh, release myself from the, the, the restriction of 24 pages of text and uh, being able to write as much as I want and publish as often as I want for a website just seemed like a cool thing to do. Uh, Rick Wilton at the time was, was, was publishing a, a weekly fax service, so the two of us kind of combined forces and we, uh, we launched Baseball HQ in August of 1996, uh, which was basically combining the content from my monthly newsletter and his weekly fax service. And it, uh, it just took off from there. It, in fact, the, uh, the paid circulation of the website surpassed that of the newsletter within nine months. So uh, it, the, the growth was rapid and uh, the explosive over the next couple of years. There's a funny story that uh, Baseball HQ was not actually your first choice for the name. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Rick and I were kind of bouncing around a bunch of names before we were settling on Baseball HQ, and uh, they were, there were actually many, many names that we came up with, but the one I think he was referring to in his note uh, that he quickly squashed was, uh, I came up with the name Baseball Axis, A-X-I-S, which, uh, you know, I thought, you know, the world revolving on his axis, and he immediately had uh, visions of World War II <laughs> stuff and said, no, 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 you can't, <laughs> you can't do that. So, uh, yeah, he squashed that pretty quickly, and then, you know, Baseball HQ turned out to be a great choice. Right. And it would just kill your marketing because you couldn't say, you know, these readers became the Axis powers. It would just be, right. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be, uh, just be awful. Uh, you also expanded the BaseballHQ.com brand, uh, gosh, I don't even remember when this was, into what we're doing now, the world of podcasting, again, breaking ground in the fantasy baseball industry with Baseball HQ Radio. How did all of that come about? Uh, yeah, I was trying to think back too. Um, I think, I think it was about 10 or 11 years ago, um, we had the opportunity to just do some t- sort of podcast on another site. I think it might have been uh, Blog Post Radio or something like that. And for, I think, one season, we, we, we toyed around with that, maybe did five or six podcasts. And then I think, uh, Patrick, I think you came to me and said, you know, let's do something on our own. And I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, um, what did we start in 2005, 2006, I think? And uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, everybody was doing podcasts at that time, and we thought it was a great opportunity to get more of our content out there to potential subscribers, and uh, and, and here we are. I think that first year, now that you say that other site, wasn't it? Didn't we all have to phone in, and then they produced the the technical production was done by them, and everybody everybody on it, including the host and and uh, and the participants, everybody was on the phone, and it sounded like it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was something along those lines. It was kind of the infancy of podcasting to begin with in the, right. in the early 2000s. So yeah, that, that sounds right. 
And then uh, after a few years, hey, we're the podcast of the year. So uh, again, another success for the BaseballHQ.com brand and for your willingness to support new ideas. Uh, Where did you come up with the idea of expanding from something that you were producing with Rick Wilton, as you said, writing writing a 24-page sheet, and he had his weekly uh, fact sheet that he was writing single-handedly. And all of a sudden, you start hiring people to write and and grow the, the site's content by taking a very unusual step, frankly, by uh, actually offering people money to write well about fantasy baseball. Well, a couple of things. First of all, um, Rick had, was, uh, was offered a job to work for Stats, Inc., and he was our news director at the time. He wrote you know, 75% of the content on, on the, uh, the news side. Uh, so losing him was just a huge blow, and I decided that I was not going to uh, build an organization uh, revolving around one person or just a few people. So I think it was 98 or 99, thereabouts, I said, I'm going to hire just a whole bunch of people with different pockets of expertise, and we're going to build this thing out. Um, and so that's, uh, that's around the time that you, know, you and, and Ray Murphy and, and Brent Hershey and all came on board. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 worked out real well because uh, we 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 just uh, the expansion just exploded at that point. I remember um, my audition. Every uh, I forget how I heard about the opportunity, but part of the process was I had to write a couple of test articles, audition articles, and uh, I remember the two articles that I sent in that actually got me the job, and one of them said, uh, Brad Fuller is a can't-miss guy, <laughs> and the other one was a very deep and thoughtful analysis about how a new young player that had uh, come into the major leagues was not going to be a great success, and his name was Ichiro Suzuki, so I was 0 for 2 on the actual projection. I guess I'm glad I got the gig. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. You know, we can, we, the process is all that's mat- that matters. And that's always been my, uh, my position here. You know, we, we can, we can't really project the future. We can control the process. We can evaluate the process. We can use the process. Uh, but the outcome is out of our control. So I was more interested in, you know, how good writers everybody were because I knew that it, it was just me uh, running the, the editorial and I had a limited amount of time to do at, you know, actual editing work. So I wanted to hire people who could write. And that was really important to me. So uh, as long as they use good process and, and can write well, um, um, they, they, they made the cut. And, you know, and as part of the other part of your question earlier, um, I've always been of the opinion that um, if you do a good job and you work hard, you deserve to be compensated. So um, I've always paid my writers. Um, I've never had free interns or anything like that. I think if, if, if you put in the effort, you should be compensated fairly for it. And so uh, uh, that's why, uh, you know, I've, I've always done it that way. And, and, and given that the Baseball HQ has always been a pay-for-access site, um, there has been uh, the revenue there to pay the writers, and they deserve to get paid. Here, here, writers deserve to get paid. I'll, I'll go along with that every day of the week. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the world has changed, but boy, you know, if you put in the effort, you deserve to be compensated. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Ron Chandler. And Ron, uh, you've announced you're leaving BaseballHQ.com. How do you think your departure is going to affect the site? Well, you know, I hope not too much because uh, this is my baby. This is this has been my home for over 18 years, and uh, it's 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 hard for me to leave. You know, I uh, given the opportunity, I would have stayed here forever. Um, but uh, I think that the organization's been built up. Uh, strong enough and you know it's Ray uh, Murphy and Brent Hershey are running things now and they're doing a great job I have absolute confidence they, they will continue to uh, 
uh, to push forward and, and, and continue uh, moving the side ahead. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be writing for the side anymore. Uh, I'm going to miss. Uh, we had uh, weekly uh, conference calls, me, Ray, and Brent, to talk about uh, you know, what's going to be on the site, the direction, you know, changes, things along those lines. You know, I'm going to miss uh, having a hand in the innovation and pushing things ahead. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, it's it's mostly going to be business as usual. I hope it is. I hope the site remains strong. It's, uh, you know, it's sad to leave, but uh, I'm sure the site will do just fine without me. In a way, it's kind of analogous to having kids, and as they get older, they go out on their own. Only in in this particular instance, uh, the kids stay where they are, and the parents go off and try something new. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking of that analogy too when I, when uh, I was uh, thinking about uh, this interview today, and uh, you know, it's it, it's sort of like you know, you you have a child, you you help them grow, you you, you cultivate their interests, you build them up, and then they go off, and in this case, <laughs> you don't see them again. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, there there are a lot of similarities there, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, it's it's a process it's 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 life you move on time moves on and you move on to other things on the other hand neither ray nor brent is going to call you and ask for your car anymore so that's a plus so uh what's going to happen with ron chandler's baseball forecaster uh not a whole lot really that shouldn't change all that much um i'm still going to write the introduction for that and my my new contract at usa today does include uh me staying involved with the baseball forecaster um so I'll be writing the, the introduction there. Uh, probably the only difference will be uh, since some of my essays from uh, Baseball HQ often got into the book, uh, since I won't be writing for HQ, uh, there won't be anything else to put in there of mine. So it'll, it'll basically be uh, my, my introduction, and I will have, uh, I'll be editing all the player comments like I've always done and you know, changing few and, 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 and whatnot, changing some forecasts. So I'll still have a, a good amount of involvement in the book. Sounds like you plan to stay involved with fantasy baseball. Have you given any thought to how that's going to work? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, this is all still kind of new for me, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what direction to take. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've already talked to so, a couple of other websites uh, about contributing to them, and in fact, uh, there's something very close that probably will be announced within the next week or so that I'm going to be freelancing for another site. Um, uh, you know, but my identity has been Baseball HQ, so it's 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 now going to be uh, Chandler Park for the most part, for at least the, the short term. I'll be doing some writing there. I've already posted a bunch of uh, uh, notable columns from my past there that uh, people can take a look at if they'd like to uh, see some of the stuff, some of the stuff I've written in the past that I thought were, was pretty interesting. Um, and uh, then we'll just kind of see where it goes. Uh, I've got, you know... You know, a writer can't stop writing, so I've always got these ideas. I'm, I've always been innovating, and um, you know, I think there are more directions to go to uh, beyond what I've already done at Baseball HQ. So you know, I think uh, the Mayberry method was, was a step, and I think there's a step beyond that to explore. I'd like to, to write about that. Um, and, you know, just a lot of the draft prep stuff that I've done at the site that I'm going to have to find a home for. So, uh, yeah, you're not going to get rid of me. I'm going to be out there somewhere. I'm just not going to be at HQ. You mentioned Chandler Park. Uh, it's predominantly a monthly style fantasy game site for people to come and play. But as you said, it also offers uh, a lot of theoretical writing by some of the big names in the business. I know Laura Michaels writes for the site. Todd Zola has had articles on the site and, and other people, especially guys who have turned out to be quite good good at playing the monthly style what else is going on new at, at chandlerpark.com 
the, the site was designed basically to run the monthly games, and the content was there to support them. Now uh, uh, we, we've we've built up the content a little bit more, so it's a little bit more robust, and I think it will continue to build now that I'll be contributing on a more regular basis there. Um, but the, the point, again, of the site is, is to run these monthly games, to run different types of, of uh, innovative formats, because the whole idea of, of uh, trying different formats in fantasy gaming is, is what fascinates me and something that I'm probably going to continue to do. I remember uh, over the years, you've come up with a whole bunch of uh, new ideas about how we could play, and, and one of the ideas was called Quint Inning, and basically it was daily fantasy baseball. It had, it had a different set of rules. Did you ever think, looking back on it, you could have invented daily fantasy and and had the first mover advantage there as you have with so many other things <laughs> well uh quint inning is it is a game that you play with a single major league ball game which makes it immediately illegal in the eyes of the law because uh <laughs> part of the uh the uh the litmus test for determining whether a, uh, a fantasy game is legal is it has to um encompass multiple contests but oh. quint inning basically is a bunch of guys sitting down watching a game on tv and drafting the players from the two teams and basically having a fantasy uh, competition based upon how the players do in that one game. So yeah, in fact, I, I play it. Do I you? play it on a regular basis with a bunch of my buddies. You know, every uh, probably about once a month we get together. We sit down at uh, a Sunday night uh, baseball game at ESPN, and uh, we sit down. We have a couple of beers, and we uh, we draft up the two teams. We just did the Met Yankee game a couple of uh, what was it last week or two weeks ago? I ended up in second place, so I, I missed out on the pot. But um, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun game to play. Is it winner take all? Yeah, it's a winner take all. Yeah, you know, you you ante up at the beginning of each inning. You uh, you pick up players, you drop players, um, and uh, you know, at the end of the game, whatever the pot was, I think the winner made like sixty or seventy bucks. And then had to pay for the beer, so broke even. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> It reminded me when I read about it, and I tried the game, and it's it's a very much like playing poker. It's like your your weekly or monthly poker night with your buddies, and it is a lot of fun. and And uh, I wish more people would have a chance to try it because I think it would pick up a lot of momentum. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I I wrote about it again before the All Star Game uh, last year because I think the All Star Game is a great. Uh, opportunity to play it because there are so many different players and there's a lot of movement during the uh, the course of the game that you're constantly picking up and dropping players and it, it makes for a fascinating experience uh, and it is exactly like a poker game because you're you're you got to toss in the buck at the beginning of each inning and then starting in the fifth inning uh, that stakes double and the ninth inning stakes triple and um, uh, you, you're hanging on every single at bat because somebody owns every player uh, on both teams that are on the field at any given time. So there's always something going on. It's uh, it's really a lot of fun. And if you happen to have Willie Bloomquist or somebody and he, and he uh, you know, ropes a double into the gap or something for a couple of RBIs, it's kind of like filling an inside straight. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Do you ever look at the daily fantasy sites and think, I should get into this as a as an as a player. You'd be good at it. Yeah, I probably would be. Um, yeah, in fact, when it it was it became apparent that I was gonna I'm gonna have to leave HQ. I I thought for a brief moment of maybe just doing it full time. Um, I've dabbled in it a little bit. I've won some money. I've lost some money. It's you know it's um, it's a lot more work to uh, to play this well. Um, it is and do well in it then and, and most of the sites are going to let you lead you on to believe you know most of them say you can play anytime you want 
And you can play anytime you want, but if you're going to make money, and especially if you think you're going to make a living at it, you have to play consistently and you have to put a whole lot of effort into it. Um, there was an, in fact, there was an interview of uh, maybe about a month or so ago on, um, on Sirius XM uh, Rotowire, uh, their, uh, their show. They were interviewing Dave Potts, who won a million dollars playing uh, right. uh, one of the daily games in the tournament. And they asked him, you know, on a day that he's going to play, how much time does he put into, you know, figure out and, and, and construct his roster? And he said six hours. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. I mean, that is a full-time job, basically. And yep. for me, anyway, um, the whole cash aspect, the, the you know, the gambling aspect of it, I mean, it is gambling. Um, it, it just... It, it changes the whole way of playing for me. I, I love playing fantasy sports. I love playing fantasy baseball because of, of the intellectual challenge. And I love playing with, with a group of guys I like because of the camaraderie. And that's what, that's what, that's what gives me joy in playing this game. That's, that's what I really enjoy. And the money aspect to me is, is secondary. And I just feel with the daily game, it's driven by the money aspect. And that, for me... I don't want to have to uh, play the game that way. It, it, it doesn't have the same type of payoff for me than, than working a roster over a whole season and grinding it out and, and, and having to figure out which players to move and managing that roster. And at the end of the year, that's, that's a huge payoff. That's a huge sense of accomplishment that um, I, I just don't get with the daily game. So, yeah, you know, I thought about it briefly of maybe doing it full-time. Um, but, you know, the guys who are doing it full-time now, they've developed elaborate models for figuring out what players to pick. And uh, I guess I would be starting a little bit behind and having to start uh, developing a whole model like that and, and having to compete against these, these guys who are already doing very well with it. Um, and that, that's just not my thing. I, I love the game for the game, and that's, that's, that's why I, I play it. I think the key idea in that, Ron, is the idea of the payoff. And the idea of payoff implies that there's always some money aspect to it. And indeed, most leagues, there is some money aspect to it. But there are also payoffs in the experience, in the excitement, in the joy of the game. And you're getting those payoffs, as I am and as a lot of our peers are, from the actual playing of the game, the money's secondary for most people that I know who play, and uh, I think that's a big difference. Uh, a little earlier, Ron, you mentioned the writers always write, and I think that's that's so so true. And I'm wondering, have you considered writing an autobiography? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, um, I've I've often thought about doing something along those lines. I I, I don't think I have a long work in me. I, I I like to 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 write in smaller chunks. So I think if I do write an autobiography, it would probably be a a series of essays that encompass different aspects of, of the experience I've gone through over the last 30 years in this industry. Uh, but yeah, I've thought about it. Um, I've got actually several book ideas in my head as, as uh, possible next directions for me, including a possible another annual. Um, you know, I think uh, the baseball forecaster uh, serves a, a a great purpose and does a great job, and I think the, the the spring magazines that come out do what they're supposed to do. But I think there's there's an opportunity in in there for for something else that that uh, readers and fantasy leaguers will still find the value that um, that, that the the other publications don't quite cover. And um, 
still a germ of an idea in my head, but I think there might be another type of annual publication out there that I'm, I'm toying around with right now. We'll call it Ron Chandler's Other Book. I think that's what the title will be. <laughs> Ron Chandler's <laughs> Other Forecaster. No, seriously. Yeah, I know. That, I mean, that's what people will call it anyway, right? They'll call it Ron Chandler's Other Book. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they would, so I might as well just call it that. You know, I, was, I was thinking maybe I'll call it the, 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 the Baseball Fivecaster, because you know, it's one more than four. <laughs> But uh, Ron Chandler's other book, we'll go with that. (laughs) You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Ron Chandler. And uh, Ron, before we leave the whole book idea, I have to say, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I've mentioned it at Baseball HQ before, the uh, three-part story you did about the origins of Tell Wars was hilarious. And I think that, you know, if you, if you do a book, uh, make sure that you get some of that, uh, some of that humorous insight into the, into the backstories of these things that go on behind the scenes. Cause I laughed out loud throughout reading all three of those pieces. I thought they were fantastic. Well, uh, thank you. In fact, that, that piece is online now at, at chandlerpark.com. Oh, good. Uh, on that site, if you click on the front office, um, tab, and then there's the owner suite in the front office. I've got a list of all articles, uh, a lot of s- columns that I'm pretty proud of there, and some uh, some interesting things that uh, actually one article that has had never been published before had kind of kind of gotten squashed, and it's uh, seeing the light of of, uh, of of the of the internet for the first time on that page. So uh, uh, it's called uh, the Columbine Killer was a fantasy leaguer, which. Um, Oh, when I wrote it, it was a week after the uh, the, the the massacre in 1999, and uh, when I, I showed it to some of the editors, they said, "Nah, too soon, too soon." Right. And so I never ran it, and so there it is for the first time at Chandler Park right now. Interesting read. I bet it is. Yeah, I'm gonna go, go right there and, and check it out. I, I can see their point. You don't, know, especially you know, so so soon after a terrible story, it's very difficult to to get any discussion of it in any in any context out out there because people are so scared of of angering people or making them sad or so forth. Yeah, and you know, it was interesting because it was of a passing comment in one of the news articles, and I did a little digging back then and actually found the league that he was in no online. Kidding. So I was able to write about, you know, the, his roster that he picked and, and <clears throat> trying to analyze why he chose certain players. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. Ron, you're synonymous with First Pitch Arizona, the symposium in Phoenix every fall. In fact, around the business, people call it Chandler Fest, uh, which I think, I, I presume, makes you a little bit proud. Uh, it, it, but it was also clearly affiliated as a Baseball HQ event. So uh, what will your involvement be with First Pitch Arizona in this year and the years to come? Probably not too different than what it has been in the past. I mean, these are, I've always positioned these as industry events, even though Baseball HQ ran them. They're industry events, and they've grown organically from <clears throat> from from all the, the wonderful writers and analysts who've participated over time. So I'll still be involved. I'll, they'll probably still have me do the introduction at, and in Arizona and, <clears throat> and the local uh, sites. Um, and uh, I'll have some involvement in, in shaping the program a little bit. You know, maybe not as much as I have in the past, but you know, again, Brent and Ray have been pretty much running things now for the last few years anyway. Todd Zola and I were talking about uh, First Pitch Arizona last week uh, when we were talking about your announcement, and Todd pointed out 
that you grew what was a small gathering of fantasy players and, and some of the writers to a gathering pretty much of the whole industry, as you mentioned, and, it, and that really helped the industry itself to grow. And I thought Todd made an interesting comment. He said it was far-sighted of you to try to grow the whole business and not just your business, even though you had a pretty dominant first-mover advantage at the time. Was that a, 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 an actual thought process you went through and decided this was going to be a vehicle to grow the entire industry? You know, it's interesting. I've been given a lot of credit for that. And to be honest, a lot of it was just serendipitous. Uh, I basically was trying to build a conference program and uh, just thought, well, you know, if it's just me and Rick Wilton speaking, I've got a limited number of, of people that will actually attend an event where it's just Ron Chandler and Rick Wilton. But if I invite you know folks from from ESPN and CBS and Rotowire and Masters Ball and 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 create this this bigger event, it'll draw more people. And so that's basically what I did. It was it was really in, intending to to grow a conference program, not you know realizing that it would also become an industry event. And it's great that it did. And I think the reason that it did is that. Most of the guys in this industry are just great guys. They're just, you know, you, you read about them, but they're just genuine people. They, they, they have a, a genuine affection for, for fantasy sports and, and sharing their, their knowledge. And I think attendees recognize that, and uh, it, just, it just grew from that. So um, I, was, I guess I wasn't deliberately trying to create an industry event, but uh, as it turned out, uh, you know, it got to the point where the the the, uh, the speakers would contact me after one uh, conference was over and say, "Hey, can I come back next year?" And um, I, I guess if I have to take credit for anything, it, it probably would be just designing a program that was was highly interactive and engaging for both uh, attendees and uh, the speakers as well, because they enjoy participating on these panel discussions, and uh, it just makes for 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 a great experience. And I'm glad to have been a part of that. But it was uh, again, it was it was more serendipitous than anything else. You know, I, I've been to First Pitch Arizona and to Tout Wars, which you also helped get started uh, many times. And and the thing I like the most about it in addition to the formal parts of the programs, the draft in the case of Tout Wars and the uh, presentations and seminars at First Pitch Arizona, is what goes on informally after the lights go down and everybody just goes uh, about their business. It's a really fertile uh, hatching ground for ideas in fantasy baseball. You get four or five fantasy writers together or fantasy website operators together, and they start kicking around ideas about a lot of stuff, not all of it baseball, but a lot of it is about fantasy baseball. And you said in your parting column at the Baseball HQ site that you would like to build up something, I think you called it a fantasy baseball think tank, to maybe get a little more f- a formal, organized way of, of gathering these ideas together and, and maybe developing them to fruition. What's your vision for that? Uh, it's more of an idea than a vision <clears throat> at this point. And I think I've always uh, kind of done that when you know, the Tout Wars grew out of that and uh, uh, the, the recent uh, Tout Wars X um, league that we've started has kind of grown out of the idea that you know, as an industry, we, we all have pockets of expertise and ideas that uh, deserve to be heard and, and, uh, and brainstormed. Um, and uh, I think being aligned with Baseball HQ uh, to some extent may have held me back a little bit because people you know, always thought that you know, I'm not going to get involved with you know, some type of think tank that's run by Baseball HQ because it's USA Today. It's, you know, there's, there's certain affiliation there, but now as an independent, 
I can, you know, I, I can contact the guys at ESPN and at, at uh, Masters Ball and then RotoWire and RotoWorld and every, all these other sites and say, hey, let's get together, uh, be it actually in person or, or via conference call or, or, or some other means, and let's talk about some issues that, that um, affect us all as far as the game is concerned. You know, let's talk about um, is there a way to improve uh, the free agent acquisition process? Is there... Um, is there a technical advantage that would provide a big impact for the playability of the game that we haven't thought about or maybe uh, would help us all? So something along those lines, I think, um, would benefit the whole industry, would, would, would benefit uh, people who play the game. And uh, I, I really enjoy uh, doing that sort of thing. And, and since I've got the track record via you know, First Pitch Arizona and, and, and Tout Wars of being able to draw people together to uh, common goals, um, this now uh, not being affiliated with any site it would give me the opportunity as an independent to do something like that again. I know that you've been very uh, involved in the industry beyond BaseballHQ.com, the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. I know uh, you're in the Hall of Fame. When you look at fantasy baseball as it sits here in, in the first part of the season in 2015, where do you think it's, it can go versus where do you think it might go? I've been in this industry now for about 30 years, and I've seen, I've seen all the cycles. I've seen the, you know, the, how the Internet has impacted it, and then the uh, dot-com uh, bust in, in 99 and 2000, and the growth uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, watching the, the growth of the daily game now uh, is something I've not seen in 30 years. It's, it's something that's had such a huge impact on, the, uh, on shaping the industry that I think we need to follow that and watch where that's going to go. And um, in some ways, it, I find it a little bit scary because uh, it's really changing the complexion of how the game is played. Um, I, I, I'm of the, the thought that the daily game, despite what uh, it, its legal definition is, is, is a gambling game, um, which, you know, I'm not really going to cast to say whether that's good or bad. I mean, it's... Uh, we're we're kind of in a society now that's that's pushing towards the legalization of sports gambling, and if that happens, then DFS clearly uh, is is fine. But you know, when when you have a game that's you know it's driven more by bankroll management than roster management, um, yeah, it's a it's a different type of thing, and it's going to drive the industry in a different direction. Um, I think I don't know what direction that's going to be because if if um, if legally, you know, some ambitious legislator says, "Hey, this is gambling," you know, because uh, yeah, the, U, the, uh, the unlawful internet uh, gambling enforcement act says it has this carve out that says, uh, you know, fantasy sports is okay. But had DFS been around in 2006, they might have written that that carve out a little bit differently. And you now suddenly, the carve out that all these uh, daily fantasy companies are standing behind uh, is, is is moot. So uh, you have to wonder. Uh, had it been a little bit different, and my biggest thing is, you know, legally it may not be gambling, but um, logically, you know, you take a look at these games and say, if there was no cash prizes, is this a viable game? Is this even a viable business model if there's no cash involved? And I don't think anybody would play Dan daily fantasy if there's no cash involved. So from from that aspect, from that logical aspect, it is a gambling game. Now. It's fine if gambling, sports gambling, becomes legal, and um, I think 
that's going to really shape the direction that this industry is going to go because there'll be, uh, you know, like uh, the Redskins now have a FanDuel uh, lounge uh, at, at their stadium, and I think that's going to become commonplace that the stadiums are going to have daily fantasy lounges, and there'll be apps where you can play fantasy, uh, daily fantasy through uh, your, your home team. I, you know, I wrote a column about this a few weeks ago. There, there's a lot of different directions this could take, but it's, it's, it's clearly daily fantasy. DFS is going to drive it. And that's really going to change things. Um, for those of us who've, who've cut our teeth on playing uh, fantasy one season at a time, it's you know you have to wonder whether our corner of the marketplace is going to be fed by all uh, the resources by the major media companies that it had been in the past. And uh, I think we're already seeing signs that it's not, because uh, all this uh, all this effort is being moved towards the daily game. All these resources are being moved towards the daily game. So. I don't know, and we'll see. We'll see if, 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 if there's some legal recourse that, that comes about. Uh, the the uh, Fantasy Sports Trade Association is a strong lobbying, lobbying group to try to uh, make sure that uh, this corner of the industry is protected. It's highly lucrative. People love playing the game. People are making a lot of money. Um, and if that's the direction it goes, that's great. You know, it's just um, uh, I just don't know whether that's, that's the way it's going to go, but it, it could very well. I think the key issue is going to be what happens to the DFS players when they start realizing that they're the dead money in the game. Uh, I think there's a potential for DFS players, especially once they start reading about or hearing about just learning about guys like Dave Potts and, and all the other big money winners. Dave Potts is putting six hours a day into it. It's his full-time job. Then a lot of those players might think, I'm playing against a guy I can't beat. Assuming that the that the game is drawing more young people than older people, and I think that's probably true, I think the question is, what happens when they get alienated from the game because they realize that they can't win it, and do they then move on to, or even as they get older and don't want to put that much effort into it, do they then move on to the traditional season-long games, or do they drop out entirely? Well, you know, I, I think there's going to be some element of that, but I, I don't think it's a black and white situation. And, and here's the thing. As long as people who get involved with DFS keep the perspective that they're not going to be the million-dollar winner, you know, and they, they don't have to be the dead money if all they're into is, is making a few bucks here and there and having some fun playing, and if they come out at the end of the year, you know, a couple of hundred dollars up rather than, you know, a million dollars up, that's perfectly fine because that's, that's what their goal is, then I think it's fine. And, you know, there's always going to be dead money there, but yeah, that's I true. think it's a matter of perspective. You know, people have to know that they're not going to be the million-dollar winner. They can win a few hundred dollars and be perfectly happy playing the game. Which, when you come to think of it, is probably what they're going to win in their home league anyway, a couple of hundred bucks in the prize pool from, the, from their league. Uh, it's a very interesting thing. It's going to be fascinating to watch over the next four or five years to see which way these wins blow. And, and I read the other day, Ron, I don't know if you have read anything about this, but the next big question is going to be whether or not the carve-out is going to apply to games in which unlike current uh, fantasy daily baseball games where it's you against me and everybody else in the pool, they just leave everybody out and just make it you against the house. So that it, it, the, the payoffs will be just like playing roulette or something like that, at which point it really does start looking like more like gambling. And I understand from what I've read that that's going to be the next big question for the authorities to determine and for the industry to look at. DF is, is on a slippery slope as it is, and... Um and besides the fact that a lot of companies are using gambling-related terms to hype their, their, their product, 
you know, and the FSTA has been trying to crack down on that sort of stuff, as they should. Uh, it's, you know, the, the more you get into it and the more money there is to be made, there are going to be uh, companies that are going to try to push the envelope. And if they push it too far, it, that's, that's the fear that, you know, that, that the government is going to get involved and they're going to shut it down. We don't want that to happen. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Ron Chandler from ChandlerPark.com. And Ron, uh, as you know, when I have an expert on, I always like to ask about studs and duds in the early part of the season. We look at uh, studs and duds can mean anything you want it to mean. It's very uh, open-ended kind of concept. But we basically want to look at some hitters and pitchers that you think are worthy of targeting or worthy of avoiding in general. And let's start in the American League with a stud hitter. Who do you like? Um, you know, when looking at these studs and duds, I, I'm basically just looking at who's a, a proven hitter who's doing poorly and who's uh, a bad hitter who just happens to be streaking. And I think at this point in the season, if you just you know, identify those type of guys, you've, you've got a, a, an easy group to pull from. You know, for, so an AL stud hitter, you know, Edwin Encarnacion, established hitter, starting out slow. In fact, last year he started out slow in April, too, and had a humongous May, and I think uh, he's probably on the verge of doing the same thing. So, you know, guys like him, guys like you know, even Chris Carter, I, I think those are guys who uh, you can target and are probably going to have good uh, seasons come, going forward. Who, uh, who's a guy like that in the National League, then? Another slow starter, Ian Desmond. You know, it's basically a second-round pick in most leagues uh, this March, established hitter. Um, and, you know, these are the guys in, in, a, in a monthly league, as a matter of fact. You know, these are the guys who are – their price is going to be a little bit lower because they had such a poor April, and these are the guys who are pure profit going into May. Looking at the other side, how about a dud hitter in the American League? It's funny. Uh, there was a guy who I drafted for Tout Wars who uh, was kind of like, I called him a brain cramp when I drafted him because I said this, this it was, somebody said one and I said two, <clears throat> not even thinking, but it turned out to be Jake Marisnik, <clears throat> and he's gotten off to this humongous start. So I got a lot of profit in him, about forty dollars worth of profit in him right now. But I take a look at his uh, his forty two percent hit rate, and I said this is not going to last. So uh, yeah, Marisnik is is probably not going to last. And uh, how about in the National League, a similar sort of guy? Uh, Zach Cozart probably. Um, there's nothing in his history to support what he's done so far, and he had a pretty established level level of performance. So uh, I expect him probably to tail off. Ron Chandler's stud hitters, Edwin Encarnacion and Ian Desmond. His dud hitters, uh, Jake Marisnik and Zach Cozart. Moving over to the mound, Ron, uh, in the American League, who's a stud pitcher you like? I like Clay Buckholz. Uh, you take a look at his peripherals, they're, they're superb. Uh, he's walking fewer than three batters per nine. He's striking out close to 12. Uh, he's, he's, his, his ground ball rate's over 50%. And even though his, his ERA is sky high, his expected ERA is under three. Um, he's, he's got a high hit rate and a low strand rate. I think uh, he can probably uh, improve in, uh, going forward. Wow, that's a that's a name and a half. Uh, Ron, you got anybody like that in the National League? Yeah, I mean, John Lester's is similar. I mean, he's, he's got a high ERA, but his peripherals are solid. He's got an expected ERA of about three. And we expect Lester to do well. Um, you know, there are a bunch of, of pitchers like that right now. And uh, these are guys who are established. And, you know, even with Buckholz, who had a bad year last year. But you look at the peripherals and you say he's got to do better. These guys have to do better. On the flip side, how about a dud pitcher in the American League? Bobo Jimenez. You know, he has had you know, periods of, of his career when he's had a streak for, you know, three or four starts, a month here, a month there, where he's done really well. Uh, but if you take a look at like his first pitch strike rate, his swinging strike rate, I mean they're all low. They're all comparable to uh, what he's done uh, previously in his career. So this fast start, I think, is is kind of a fluke. 
And uh, in the National League, a dud pitcher? Uh, let's go with Dan Heron. Um, you know, we didn't even think he might even play this year, and he's, uh, he's putting up solid numbers with the Marlins. But, again, he's got an 85% strand rate. His, his expected ERA is over four. Um, and his swinging strike rate right now is the lowest of his career, so um, that's not going to keep up. He's he's going to probably fail. Ron, this has been uh, absolutely great. Uh, you said during the during the interview that your main outlet is ChandlerPark.com, not only for the game but also for your essays and uh, your current thinking. But where else can listeners keep up with Ron Chandler? Uh, well, you know, I've got my Facebook presence, uh, RonChandler.baseball is uh, is where. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm posting stuff pretty much on, on a daily basis, links to uh, articles I like and, and stuff that is just kind of swimming around in my head that doesn't have a, a place anywhere else. Uh, I've got my Twitter, at Ron Chandler, um, uh, and Chandler Park basically will be the home for, for the time being. Ron, thanks so much for doing this. We really do appreciate it. I hope we can catch up with you again during the season. Uh, sure, I'm around. You know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Chandler is the founder of Baseball HQ and the monthly fantasy baseball site ChandlerPark.com. He announced his departure from Baseball HQ a few days ago. Next up in the order are Baseball HQ commentaries. The Minor League Minute, our playing time, and frequent flyers all coming up. This is Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you very much. I got a... I gotta thank all of you, all the fans here in San Francisco. Road and home, it's been fantastic. I wanna thank you all. I gotta thank my teammates for their support. Through all this, you guys have been strong and you've given me all the support in the world and I'll never forget it, as long as I live. Thank you. I gotta thank my family, my mother, my wife Liz, my kids, Nikolai, Shakari, and Asia. I'm glad I did it before you guys went to school. Thanks for being here. I gotta thank the Washington Nationals for your support. Thank you for understanding this day. It means a lot to me. My dad. HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. With the season underway, BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game all season long with features like Facts and Flukes Performance Validation, including this week's slow starts by Corey Kluber, Clay Buchholz, and Jason Kipnis, as well as a possible rebound by Dustin Pedroia and much more. Playing Time Today looks at the shakeup in the Toronto outfield with the demotion of Dalton Pompey. And Stephen Nickrand looks at April leaders in base performance value in his starting pitcher buyer's guide. BaseballHQ.com updates content every day across a wide range of great information and tools, like our buyer's guide skills assessment columns, performance validation in facts and flukes, roster changes in playing time today and tomorrow, daily matchups coverage, teams, projections, roster management tools, you can use it all to dominate your league. And it's only at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners, BaseballHQ.com. 
Now it's time for our regular Tuesday commentaries. Coming up, we have playing time and frequent flyers comments. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on possible replacements for Adam Wainwright in the St. Louis Cardinals rotation is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. The devastating news that Adam Wainwright will be out for the season with a ruptured Achilles tendon has not yet sent the front-running Cardinals into a tailspin, but it surely has fantasy owners scrambling. As a stopgap measure, the Cardinals turned to rookie Tim Cooney, who looked very hittable in his big league debut. Cooney is an underappreciated young pitcher who throws strikes and does have a good idea how to pitch, but he really profiles better as a number 4 or number 5 starter, and so doesn't have much fantasy value outside of the deepest NL-only formats. Those with the ability to look at the long view should consider watching lefty Marco Gonzalez. Gonzalez was the 19th overall pick in the 2013 draft after a standout career at Gonzaga. The 23-year-old features a good low 90s fastball, a slider, a curveball, and a plus changeup. He throws all four offerings for strikes and does a good job of keeping hitters off balance. In three starts at AAA Memphis, Gonzalez has a 4.50 ERA with three walks and 13 strikeouts in 16 innings and has a career command ratio of 4.0. Marco Gonzalez isn't going to lead the league in strikeouts anytime soon, but he should be a solid mid-rotation starter with a good ERA and whip and is similar in profile to Kyle Loesch. For a small investment, he could earn a nice profit in 2015. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Chris Maloney, Cole Begarapi, Nick Richards, Matt St. Germain, Brent Hershey, and Alec Dopp have reports and updates on the top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, our extensive prospect coverage continues with call-ups, including Boston catcher Blake Swihart, the aptly named Oakland speedster Billy Burns, Met second baseman Dilson Herrera, and many others. Our watch list report looks at players who appear closer to a call-up than some of their more well-known prospect peers. In the latest edition, Alec Dopp looks at potential call-ups like the Mets starter Stephen Matz. That's right, Matz of the Mets. And St. Louis left-hander Tyler Lyons, as well as many others. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean changes in which players could be getting more chances or riding the pine. In this week's edition, analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at how long Drew Stubbs can hang around in that Colorado outfield. The month of April always produces some crazy stat lines, but I'm not quite sure if I've seen one as bad as Drew Stubbs so far this year. Stubbs is just one for his first 25 through Sunday's games, but the alarming thing about it has been 16 strikeouts, which is good for a 36% contact rate. In pure Drew Stubbs fashion, though, that one hit, of course, was a home run, and he has a steal as well, which is symbolic of the power speed upside that he has. In the playing time tomorrow space at BaseballHQ.com, we're always looking ahead at potential roster changes based on a number of factors, and Stubbs' early season struggles fit the mold exactly. He simply can't stay on the roster if he continues to not hit like this. Uh, Colorado entered the season with just four outfielders on the roster, and with Corey Dickerson's plantar fasciitis issues and Carlos Gonzalez's inevitable injury risk, it's well worth taking a look at who might be in line for playing time in the outfield at Coors Field. Brandon Barnes stands out as the probable top option for Colorado. Barnes flashed an impressive uh, 143 power index and 134 speed score 
both well above average over 292 at-bats with the Rockies last season. Like Stubbs, Barnes does have a low contact rate, so he might be a bit of a batting average risk, um, but it is a risk well worth taking in deep leagues if Stubbs gets cleared out of the roster. Other options include Kyle Parker and Tim Wheeler, both of whom are Barnes teammates in Albuquerque. Uh, both have decent upside, and Kyle Parker was ranked as the team's 12th best prospect by BaseballHQ.com this offseason. Uh, Wheeler in particular, though, is off to a decent start in Albuquerque with five home runs and an 888 OPS through 68 at-bats. However, both Parker and Wheeler have a combined 26 major league at-bats between them, so there might be some adjustment period if they got called up. Anyone with a pulse playing at Coors Field is worth tracking from a fantasy standpoint, so keep an eye on what Colorado decides to do with Drew Stubbs if he continues to struggle. Brandon Barnes is probably the top option, followed by Tim Wheeler or Kyle Parker down on the farm. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has a playing time commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every Tuesday. Now it's time for our Frequent Flyers commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool and they're poised to deliver some big potential returns. This week's Frequent Flyers, Carlos Rodon, Enrique Burgos, and Kevin Pillar. And here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. Toronto may have thrown teams a curveball last week by sending sleepers Daniel Norris and Dalton Pompey to AAA. But those demotions have created opportunities for players that may be flying under the radar in your league. In this week's edition of Frequent Flyers, we'll look at timing the market with a few potential pickups beginning in Chicago, where those looking to replace Daniel Norris may have to look no further than Carlos Rodon of the White Sox who could be this week's hottest pickup. With the five-game suspensions to Chris Sale and Jeff Samarja now under appeal for their roles in the brawl with Kansas City, the White Sox may have the opportunity for a pitcher to make a spot start or two. Given Rodon's enormous potential, combined with the timing of the suspensions, perhaps now is a good time to take a flyer on Rodon if he's still available in your league. Because even without a spot start, he's on track to join the White Sox rotation very soon. Our second frequent flyer is the Diamondbacks' Enrique Burgos, who was called up when Archie Bradley was placed on the 15-day DL after suffering a line drive to the face off the bat of Carlos Gonzalez on April 28th. Burgos is capable of hitting triple digits with his fastball and features a low 90s power slider in his repertoire. After leading the High A California League in saves last year by a wide margin, the 24-year-old continued his success in the Arizona Fall League and struck out 16 batters and 12 eggs of work during spring training while posting a 1.42 ERA. In terms of opportunity, it's worth noting that current Arizona closer Addison Reed not only has a 4.50 ERA this season, but has already walked three batters in seven games. That may not sound like a big deal until you realize that Reed only walked 15 total batters in 62 appearances last season and still finished with a 4.25 ERA. While we're not suggesting that Burgos will supplant Reed anytime soon, he may be worth a flyer and could help with ERA and strikeouts. Finally, our last frequent flyer's performance has been nothing to sneeze at. Kevin Pillar, the 26-year-old Blue Jays outfielder who made it to the big leagues in only two short years after being selected in the 32nd round of the draft, is batting over 300 in May and has one home run and four steals on the season. 
Pilar raked in the minors with a 322 batting average through five levels and averaged over 20 steals per season, including 51 steals in 2012 at the single-A level. Yes, the guy with the $1,000 signing bonus may be somewhat of a long shot, but he's a feel-good long shot who made it to the big leagues and could be here to stay. And there you have our three feel-good long shots for the week. Carlos Rodon, Enrique Burgos, and Kevin Pillar are our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers commentary here on Baseball HQ Radio on Tuesday every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, May the 5th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 23 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Tuesday edition of the show, Ron Chandler, a true pioneer in the game we play. And I want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com. Our Minor League Minute analyst was Rob Gordon. Our Playing Time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. And our Frequent Flyers analyst was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our regular News and Notes edition featuring Todd Zola. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt. <laughs>